0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast made to hopefully make you feel a little bit better about the world and a little bit more connected to the nonprofit world. We are going to be chatting with nonprofit leaders and founders, giving them a platform to share their stories and collaborate with others because we believe that when we join hands, we can stand that much taller and make the world better. So sit back, plug in, and let's create some good. This is Nonprofit Connect with me, Matt Barnes. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Nonprofit Connect with Matt Barnes. I'm Matt Barnes, and with me, as she always is, whether I like it or not, my assistant, Tiffany Pope. Yep, here I am. You sound so excited to be here. I am. Okay, that's better. <laughs> you did. I mean, I was being sarcastic. You did not sound excited to be here. <laughs> yep, here I am. <laughs> I think I have that. Do I have that? I think I have that. Nope, that's not the right one. Nope.
1: There's all kinds of sound effects
0: on here. None of them are the one I'm looking for. Oh, oh, wait, here it is. Here it is.
1: Wow.
0: There it is. Okay. So anyway, I hope a great episode today. I think a great episode today. And the reason I say that is we have always, to this point, recorded the intros for these episodes after we did the interviews so Mm -hmm. that I can refer to what we talk about in the interviews. But today, for the first time, as you would probably imagine we would normally do, but we don't. We are doing the intro right before the interview.
1: Yeah, this is monumental. This is
0: groundbreaking. Yeah, this You guys, is this historic. is innovation at its finest. Mm-hmm. Okay. But before we jump into the interview, I just want to share something that just happened. And that is, you know, when I got married, I got a tattoo on my ring finger where my wedding ring goes of an S. And it's the S from my wife, Stacy. It's the S from her signature. So that if I lose my ring or forget it, I'm still married. because I think by law, if you aren't wearing a wedding ring, you're not married. Yeah, it sounds about right. So you have to have something there to show it off, right? Like make sure people are like, oh, oh, yeah, you're still married. And so I have the S there and everybody's always been like, oh, cool. Like, oh, S for Stacey. Cool. Great. And, you know, I've known Tiff for a while now and she sees me on an almost daily basis. And she comes in and sits down here and looks across the table and she goes, what? I forgot my wedding ring today, but I got my S. She (laughs) looks over and goes what is that on your finger? And I'm like, what? She's like, that's Scribble. And I said, that's an S for my wife, Stacey, who she knows very well. And she's like, oh, it just looked like a Scribble. (laughs) I'm like, I've never had anybody. Also groundbreaking, almost as groundbreaking as doing an intro before an interview, is you have broken the trend now. You're the first person to not put that together how First do you feel one. about that yeah that make you feel good
1: you know i feel great actually okay. i feel great that's good but that's good stacy i'm sorry and if you're listening in i'm very sorry
0: if she's listening you're very sorry yeah but if not you're just sorry yeah yeah okay got it yep got it exactly. okay well let's get to our interview today <laughs> our guest today is janice celeste she is the president and ceo of fentanyl they are nonprofit based right here in newport beach california And they're on a mission to combat the alarming and escalating illicit fentanyl crisis. Before she was doing that, though, she had a three-decade career as the founder, CEO, senior executive producer, host, and editor-in-chief. That's a lot of titles. Wow. At Successful Parenting Media. And if you guys have been listening to the podcast, you know that I have five kids. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I. Sometimes host a podcast called "Parenting is Hard," Mm -hmm. but because parenting got hard, we took a break. We have not (laughs) come back yet, but it's out there. You can check it out. And so I'm very interested to hear what she has to say about all of these things. She's got a background in early childhood education, broadcast communications, entrepreneurship, and has dedicated herself to advocacy for children and families. And now she's leveraging all of that to lead the charge to prevent the spread of fentanyl and or illicit fentanyl use and safeguard future generations. So. Very cool. She's on a mission that every child deserves safe and secure environment. And I can't help but agree with that. Yeah. So I'm very excited about this conversation we're going to have. I have Mm -hmm. not had it yet. I'm very (laughs) excited to see where it goes. And we will be right back with my interview with Janice Celeste after this brief message. Nonprofit Connect with Matt Barnes is brought to you by Rogue Creatives. Rogue Creatives is a creative agency that works mostly with nonprofits to make sure that their brand character is being represented accurately. So here's the thing. If you think of your favorite book or your favorite movie or show or whatever, there's usually some character that you identify with. Something that you connect with that brings you into that story and makes you come back to that story, that makes you feel a part of that story and related to it. The same is true with your organization. See, people don't naturally connect with organizations. They just don't. They care about people, and they care about character, and they want to connect with those things. And that's why Rogue Creatives has developed a three-phase process called the Strategic Storytelling Framework. And it's designed to identify your brand character, its personality, its voice, its values, and then make sure that it comes to life so you're represented cohesively and accurately. No matter how people come into contact with you, whether it's a business card or website or social media, a video, a print piece, whatever – they're connecting with the same character and being brought into your story. And the best part is it frees you up to do just what you love to do or what you're best at. And you can rest easy knowing that you're still being represented out there so well and so accurately. And you have a team on your side making sure that this is happening consistently and cohesively. So head on over to RogueCreatives.com NPC for Nonprofit Connect NPC to schedule a free brand consultation and take our free online brand character quiz because you know everybody loves a free online quiz. Those are fun. That's roguecreatives.com/npc to begin defining your brand character today. We've worked with uh, so many nonprofits and helped them increase their funding and their reach as they connect with more people and bring them into their stories. There's no commitment or risk for you at all. And we just can't wait to meet you. Like, we're we're actually just sitting around here waiting to meet you. We want to. Remember, that's RogueCreatives.com slash NPC to get started today. Rogue Creatives. Seriously. Creative storytelling. And now, back to the show. 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 All right. I'm here with Janice Celeste. Welcome.
1: Hi. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for coming on. I'm excited to get to talk to you and hear more about what you're doing, what you're about, and what your experiences have been. Before we get started, we always start with three random questions. So I've got a list of like 30 or 40 random questions, and then I've used a randomizer to select three of them. Are you ready?
1: Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Okay, sure. I'm ready. (laughs)
0: Nothing scary. All right. Thin crust, regular, or deep dish pizza?
1: I like regular.
0: Okay, good. Yeah, regular's good. Every once in a while, a deep dish is nice, but...
1: I like Pizza Hut. Regular old pizza with the regular crust. That's it. I'm pretty simple.
0: Yeah. All right. Good. Not fussy. What is your favorite time of day? Sleeping at night.
1: <laughs> <laughs> my rest. Yeah. I think nighttime, getting my rest. I'm really happy to get into my bed. Yeah. That's always calling my name. Yeah. Yes. You
0: there have kids? Goes.
1: I do, but they're adult kids, so. oh, Okay. okay. God, I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man, I look forward to those days. <laughs> and then last question, and nobody ever wants to answer this one, including me, but how often do you floss?
1: Oh, every day.
0: Oh, good for you.
1: Every day. I mean, once a day. I probably should do it more times a day, but no, I do it once a day. I think because I made it a habit. If I don't do it, it feels just weird. And I have this thing I used to teach preschoolers about how to floss and, and get them started. And I used to say, okay, if you don't floss, it's like being a dinosaur eating meat, a meat eater. And you have all this meat in your mouth. Can you imagine what the dinosaur's breath smelled like? <laughs> and so all the kids understood that and they would floss. <laughs> That's what I, I actually think I go there when I think, oh, did I floss? I didn't floss.
0: Oh my, I got, I got dinosaur teeth, man. I got a <laughs>
1: dinosaur, dinosaur breath. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's great. Yeah, that sounds like something my wife would do. She's always coming up with things like that. I don't know if she told them this or the dentist told them, but something they call uh sugar bugs. You got to brush to get the sugar bugs out. Oh,
1: they, should, they brush longer.
0: Yeah. And so they're, they're all about it. They're like, I got to get all the sugar bugs. <laughs> I
1: love it. Oh, they're so cute.
0: It's so good. So I'm reading over your career history, all the things you've done, you're doing. Very impressive. You've got a lot there going on. I'm very interested, too. So I've got five kids. The oldest are about to turn six, and which it's two sets of twins and then an, an eight-month-old. And my wife and I have a another podcast that's on hold right now called Parenting is Hard. And we, it's on hold because parenting got hard. And... <laughs> <laughs> Good <laughs> After the baby was born, we're like, we need a break. This is a lot. But yeah, there's a lot going on. So you've got such a background with children and all of that. And now putting that to use with fentanyl solution. What's your sort of origin story? Like, how did you end up where you are and doing what you're doing?
1: It started with me being a journalist. Now I've been a lifelong parent and child advocate. Like I came out of high school with certificates in child development. I was in high school. I was a candy striper at the children's hospital. I got to work in an intensive care unit, because I was there for four years. Like I started when I was 16, and I thought I was going to go into nursing. And then I had a baby die; it came in an emergency and was in intensive care, and I realized I can't see babies die, and so that sticks with me. And I'm the type of person I don't wait till things happen to me to get involved. I see something bad coming down the line, I want to try to make the world better. Maybe it has to do with my pageant background. I have a pageant background, Mrs. New Jersey. So, you know, they say, oh, we're all peace. You know, <laughs> so maybe it has to do something with that. Like, I want to just make the world a better place. So I found out about fentanyl around one Halloween and the rainbow fentanyl. And I thought, this is bad. This is not going to be good. And, and this numbers are growing. Like, I've never seen before any history of drugs. What is happening here? And how? why are the children at risk? And why are drug dealers stalking children on the internet? I don't want that for my kids. And I definitely don't want it for my grandkids. This cannot be around. This is going to just get worse. And sure enough, it got worse. And now we're going to be dealing with the zombie drug, xylozine, being added to fentanyl, which is happening on the East Coast already. And there's no coming back from that. We deal a lot with harm reduction, even in our organization. But here's the deal with harm reduction in children. They don't get a chance to benefit from it. They're usually addicted for a very short window. And then it because the fentanyl is so addictive, they think they're taking something else. So somebody said, like, oh, take this Oxy or take this Percocet or Xanax to help you with anxiety. And they think, oh, it's harmless. I'll take it because it help me with my anxiety. I need that. And there's no Xanax in it. There's no Percocet in it. It's just fentanyl and filler. The cartels, they just got to think about it for a minute. You know, if they can get away with doing this without putting medication in it, why would they spend their extra money to actually put medicine in it? They can make it look just like the pill so that you're getting a fake counterfeit pill, but they have no interest in putting medication in it because they can t- make 10 times as much money not putting it in it, hoping that you get addicted so that you come back the next day because you're going to be that addicted and you're not going to know why you can't shake off these pills. You're not going to be thinking because you don't know there's fentanyl in there. you just know, you just got to take your Percocet again. You need more Percocet. You need more Xanax. Your drones are for Okay, hey, I can't deal without it till you get the lethal amount because the cartels learning how to mix the batch evenly so that you get the same amount of fentanyl in every pill. Some will have nothing. Some will have a little bit, just enough to keep you addicted and others will have too much. And it'll come from the same batch, which is important because people think they can test. One pill in the bag to see if it has fentanyl in it. And if it comes back negative, that all the other pills are good. No, you literally have to test the whole pill, dissolve it in water, and you have to dissolve every pill in water because this one might be negative, but the other ones might be positive or more than one. Even if you try to do it randomly, it might be the one you didn't pick.
0: Wow. This one, I feel like I'm learning a lot just from this five minutes that we've had so far, (laughs) but that worries me. Like, you have such a challenge in front of you, the fact that the average person, I would say, unless I'm just more ignorant than others, doesn't know very much about this. And, you know, with all of the crises in the world, you know, drawing our attention and things that we should be aware of, this is not something that's even really on my radar.
1: And it's not for most people. And that that's the problem, At You'll hear on the news about the drug busts that are spectacular. You might hear about someone going to prison for murder. You're thinking, oh, it must be the people who are addicted that it's only affecting, and it's not. And there's not much about warnings and education on the news so that you know what to do if this hits your home. And here's the thing. People always think, oh, it can't happen to me and my family. And those people that say that or believe that, they are the most vulnerable for it to happen. I'm going to tell you why, okay? First of all, it started with people who had a lot of money, you know, in those high income brackets that because the kid had to have a computer if it affected the child. computer, they had to have the internet, they had to have a way to pay for things. So your child would be on Instagram, he might be looking just curious and looking for to see what's out there for his drugs. There are emoji codes for drugs that all parents should know it's on the DEA website. So you need to know what those emoji codes look like. And the drug dealers will advertise that and as well as they will find your child through other children, teens, and they will start stalking your kid, not in a way that's creepy, to befriend them, get their trust, and they'll poke at the right moments. For instance, posting, I'm starting a new school today. I'm a little nervous, but I'm going to be okay. I have a pill that will help you be so cool on your first day. I can get it to you. It's going to cost you $2. We just got paid for delivery or they'll deliver it themselves. As fast as your child can get a cheeseburger order on Uber Eats, they can get a lethal pill in their hand and the parents won't even know it. So this transaction happens on, it starts maybe on an Instagram. They take it over to Snapchat to do the actual cash transaction because that's going to disappear in 24 hours. By the time you find your child dead and you figure out what happened to them, that transaction has gone. You'd be lucky if you can find all the conversations on Instagram. So that's hard to prove because the transaction is now gone. Company like, and I'm not blaming any of these companies, but Uber Eats, Uber, uh, Grubhub, all of those, they will pick up a package from point A and take it to point B. They have no idea what's in the package. They're just doing the job, right? So you're just as fast as you can order a cheeseburger from them. You can get a lethal pill. Your child's not going to tell you, oh yeah, it's not food. I got a lethal pill. They'll go up to their room and take it. And that, that can be it. I've had Parents who showed me a pill their child had taken, well, this one was a 17-year-old, and he only bit the corner off of a Xanax, very little piece, but because the fentanyl was there, he passed away. We have a mother on our board who lost her 14-year-old son, 14, bubblegum braces, red hair, cute kid, big smile, big personality. He was going places in this world, but he was very curious, and he tried an Oxy, and he had been taken for 10 days. And he went to his mom said, listen, I don't know why I can't shake these pills. They got a hold of me. I don't know what to do. Good mom. as she is called up rehab. Hey, I need to get my son in. Rehab said, I, I will call you tomorrow and see if we can get him in. But by the time they called back, he had taken the last Oxy and he passed away because she did not know about fentanyl. He did not know about fentanyl. Had someone educated her, she could have done everything differently and she would have made sure she told him, give me all the pills. I'm searching your room. I'm taking these pills. Don't take another pill. These can kill you, you know, but no one educates parents on these things. So if something like that happens, you do what you think you're supposed to do. And then you lose your kid and we're losing children fast in Orange County, where we are. It's the number one killer of teens right now. Really? In Orange County. Yes. And one out of five kids who have overdosed in the United States is due to fentanyl poisoning. We're not calling it traditional overdose. You gotta take a handful of pills. This is take a corner of a pill. It's not an overdose.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, now I'm a little bit terrified.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's terrifying and heartbreaking.
0: It is. I want to get to some of the general challenges that you're facing that maybe other nonprofits, even in other areas, can kind of learn from. But as a parent, and I know there's probably a lot of parents who are listening. A, how do you educate parents? I guess, and what are the tips? What do we do?
1: Well, the first thing you can't safeguard from everything, and I'll tell you right in a minute. But the, if you have a teen or preteen, I tell parents all the time to have them Google fentanyl comma fake pills because if you just do fentanyl, you will get the legal fentanyl. There is legal fentanyl that a hospitals use for pain. You know. Uh, for cancer patients, their patches and, and stuff like that. But just Google fentanyl, comma, fake pills, and then have your child report back to you what they found. The number one question you need to ask them is what do they already know? And then you can fill them in on the rest and they can fill you in on what they found. And that conversation makes them sort of ambassadors for their friends. So now they know the real deal. You know the deal. So if your child comes to you telling you that they're addicted to these pills and they don't know why, you're like, remember we had this talk, you cannot take these, you know, but that usually doesn't happen. It usually stops them from taking the pill. Now there are other scenarios where infants and babies, their rates have quadrupled for overdose rates. And I'm going to tell you why And this is under age four and it's heartbreaking. So it's difficult. I get goosebumps talking about it. So different scenarios. One is usually a parent will take their toddler over to a friend's house. They don't know about the pills and the toddler might find some rainbow looking pills and they look like candy put in their mouth and instant death. There's been the same situation out in parks where someone's dropped a pill and a toddler found it and put it in their mouth. And luckily in this case, the EMTs, they re- recognized what was going on through the pinpoint like pupils and they knew that was the overdose and they were able to bring that three-year-old back situation like this is just heartbreaking. Family rented an Airbnb. And I guess previously at that Airbnb, there was a party and there's probably residue on the floor. And of course the baby crawling around on the floor when they went to put the baby to sleep, more than likely the baby put the thumb in the mouth and didn't wake up. So it only takes a few speckles. I mean, I say speckles like grains of salt were three or four to kill most people who haven't built up a tolerance to fentanyl. Because you have people who are addicted to it. They've built tolerance up over a period of years. And people who have never had it before, if they'll fit on the tip of a pencil, how much can kill you? That's very little. But if it doesn't kill you, it will make you instantly addicted. And the xylazine that they're adding to it, which they're calling the zombie drug, they're adding that because fentanyl has a short half-life. So the high goes away really fast. So the xylazine is supposed to extend the high. But like I said, there's no naloxone, Narcan that can bring you back from a xylazine overdose. You're just gone. And the problem is with that is that when you, the people and they inject the drug, whether they know it's xylazine in or not, more times and often, they don't know it's in there because if they get these things without their consent. If they inject it, wherever they inject it, they get necrosis or infection that will rot their skin. That's why they call it the zombie drug, besides putting you in like a zombie state where you're just kind of suspended animation or you're on the ground, one or the other. <laughs> that's what we got coming towards us on the West Coast. And the East Coast is pretty much, has happened there and they're dealing with it, but it's starting to make its way here.
0: As if there are not enough challenges for parents these days, <laughs> it gets crazy. Man, that's insane. So for you, I guess, what is, FentanylSolution.org. What are you guys doing about it?
1: We do education, advocacy, and awareness with our 501c3. We also have a 501c4 crop fentanyl solution group that's working on a ballot proposition to get stronger, harsher drugs for drug dealers who specifically kill it with fentanyl or fentanyl analogs. And that's because in California, the Public Safety Committee will not treat this drug differently, and it is a totally different type of drug. You don't need kilos. Kilos will kill a whole region of people. You just need such such a small amount. So we have to make new laws for this. But there's no laws in the books right now that really put people in the prison for killing with this drug. You'll go to prison for having the drug and selling the drug. And there's some VAs that will take it to a federal level where you can go to prison for it. But in California, it's not consistent from county to county. And we need to be able to say, hey, if you sell this drug and you kill someone, you are going to prison for murder. Or some sort of manslaughter or something, you know, because even if we hit someone with our car by accident, we have some sort of legal procedure for that. So a law for that, it could be manslaughter, even if you can mean it, you know, so we have to you know, have laws. We cannot have a lawless land and that's where it's going right now. So the ballot proposition will give the voters the chance to vote on whether or not they want this. And the part of that, it looks like it will be, we're, we're still fine tuning it this week. And it'll be done. And then we follow up soon. But it looks like we're going to have Matt Capelluto's admonition in there as well as a preamble. So if you get caught selling fentanyl, you will get a warning. You haven't killed anyone yet, but you'll get a warning for selling it saying that if you get back into this court and you have killed someone, then you're going to prison for murder. So that way we can say that we know they knew. There's no saying, oh, I didn't know it was fentanyl in there. Few, about a year or so ago, you could get away with that because a lot of people just didn't hear about fentanyl. Now you hear about it, you know about it. We know drug dealers know their stash. We know they know what they're selling, what they're not selling. It's the people who are, got it from the drug dealer passing it around to friends that might not know. So we don't want to catch them in that. We want to make sure it's just people who have exchanged drugs for money.
0: It sounds to me like, I mean, not that normal drug dealing is good, but it's not even a drug. It's poison. You know that. Somebody takes this, there's a really strong likelihood they're going to die. It is. So you're knowingly doing that with other drugs. Yeah. You can overdose if you take a lot or that type of thing, but this is like, no, you take it. You could die.
1: It's like anything else. We did not consent to take these people did not consent to having fentanyl put into their pill. They did not consent to have xylosine put into powder or it could be cocaine. Say you just bought cocaine for a party or you're part of a party, and you try it for the first time and it's fentanyl in it. that's it, you know, pretty much you're be gone. And that's been happening That's it's happened. And I know someone who particularly her daughter was celebrating with her, her husband or boyfriend, I can remember, but it was their birthday. And after kids went to bed, they decided to order in some Coke and they did a bump and that they both were dead and the morning kids were still sleeping in the bed when they were found. So I went to grandparents and it's heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking. It's difficult to deal with even as a nonprofit on a daily basis. We are constantly surrounded by death. It's very difficult. It affects all ages, by the way, all demographics, all races, (laughs) all stages of life. We just found out seniors, we did a white paper report on seniors. Also, their rates have have quadrupled. Seniors are the less likely people to be diagnosed as being addicted to any drugs. Because they don't fit the stereotypes. So they fall tracks of their doctors. And here's the problem in California specifically, we have medical tourism where seniors will take buses over the border to go to brick and mortar pharmacies to get their medication at 80% of a discount because they think they're getting the real thing. But we now know from a expose in LA Times that the brick and mortar pharmacies, the ones you can walk into, that they have been compromised by the cartel. And we had the reporters uh, from that article. They tested several medications all up and down the Baja Peninsula, from going into actual pharmacies, and most of the drugs tested positive for fentanyl. So now we have Granny and Grandpa addicted to their medication, and they don't know why. They just know they have to take their medication, and so we have to start looking at the seniors and seeing, you know, if this is a problem for them. Even ordering it from like Canada, a lot of times with that medication, there's no real medication in it for their heart medicine, et cetera. And then they have a heart attack and they don't know why they've been taking their medicine. It's very difficult for the seniors these days because they can't afford their medicine. Wow. Uh,
0: That's crazy, man. So obviously every nonprofit has the challenges of whatever area they're in, staying up on all the latest information because things change so quickly. Obviously, some areas are more stable and don't change as quickly as others. I would imagine with this, there's new developments all the time, you know, either adding a new thing or it's coming in new ways or they're targeting teens in new ways. How do you stay on top of that? And what advice would you have even for other nonprofits as far as, as they're, you know, doing the same kind of things in other areas, but like part of your job has to be research and being on top of that. What does that look like?
1: I mean, we of course, I subscribe to everything from the CDC on down, but I think the best way is to talk to people who are out there dealing with it, the parents who have experienced some of these losses for us and seeing what we can do better, what do they need, and to even dealing with people who are dealing with addiction, people who are on the front lines like that to see what's going on, what's next, what should we expect, that you just have to keep talking to people, which is one of the reasons I love doing what we call tabling at events. We have our booth set up and we'll get to meet the public. And we ask them, we have a little sign says, tell us your story. We want to know. And we're starting to record some of those stories because they are so interesting. And people don't realize, like, even with addiction, how difficult it is. I, you know I've been fortunate not to have to ever experience anything like this, but hearing it from them, I understand, like, withdrawal symptoms are painful. They're painful. They actually hurt. And that's why so many people have a hard time. And they say it takes, like, eight times to go to rehab to get off fentanyl. So it's really difficult when someone's addicted to it. And to hear their stories from them, how they got addicted. One guy, he fell off his motorcycle, had back pain. This doctor prescribed opioids. He lost his um, job, so he couldn't get his medicine. So he went to the black market he, and to get it, and he overdosed several times and was brought back by um, naloxone. So as simple as that, One the woman who had just her children, she had meningitis, same thing, Got medicine. got used to taking the medicine, but she still was in pain, and her doctor got scared because of the opioid crisis. A lot of doctors just cut people off from the medicine, even though they still needed it. And then it forced them to the black market. Because what happens if you don't know anybody, you'd be like, well, I'll just go get it myself. I know this guy sells it down the street. I'll get it. I don't need you. And then get it, not realizing it's not what you think. And then next thing you know, you're leaving your kids to be raised by your mom and dad. It's little things. The worst one I heard, I'll give you some one more story. A teenager who on a Friday got her teeth worked on by her dentist and the dentist was like, here, you, I'm going to prescribe you pain medicine. And she said, no, I don't want it. I don't want any pain medicine. I'll be fine. I'm good. Because the numbness had not worn off. Well, the next evening, by the time the dentist's office was closed, the pain was kicking in so bad. She was in so much pain. Her friend said to her, well, I have a Percocet. I want it. I'll give it to you. Just innocently trying to help her friend. The Percocet was laced with fentanyl and the 16-year-old passed away. Beautiful young girl. So as simple as that, it can happen to anyone and you just don't understand as a parent how it happened to you. And every parent, I guarantee you that I've talked to will say that they never thought it would happen to them or their family. They never thought about it.
0: What has been the most, I guess, effective way to get this message out for you?
1: Well, for us, we're yelling from every tower and chandelier we possibly can to get the message out. I think a lot does have to do with education. Because the more you know, the more you can prepare. And I'm pretty upset with the press for not doing more educational pieces as a former journalist. This is the number one killer of 18 to 45 year olds in the United States, more than COVID, right? More than cancer, more than car accidents and more than suicide. And you would think if we covered COVID the way we did, why aren't we talking about this on a regular basis, not just on National Fentanyl Awareness Day, but every single day and it educational pieces, not just the sensational pieces like drug busts, let's talk about it. Let's help these parents. And I think journalists, if you're listening to me, you have a responsibility to make sure that you don't just do these pieces on politicians and pieces on drug busts. We want to see more educational types of warnings for parents. Step one, if you see this, you may find your child kind of nodding. And, you know, they took something, but you don't know what you don't put your child to sleep. You don't say, go lay down because that's when they won't wake up. You need to get them to the emergency room at that point. If you see your child just going, you know, back and forth and you'll know as a parent, something's not right, but you don't know what. but so that's important.
0: Yeah. I mean, that is upsetting that it's not more talked about. It's not more. I mean, I think of myself as someone who is usually up on the news and what's going on in the world and all that. And just, I don't know. Not that I've never heard of fentanyl before, but I don't know anything about this. And like I said, with five kids, they're younger, so there's risks even there. But, you know, especially they're going to be getting older and, you know, like going to school and all this. And it's frightening. I mean, it's already a frightening world to raise kids in, right? There's so many things that weren't issues when I was a kid or when you were a kid. And now there's just so many ways to get into trouble, <laughs> get into harm's way. The so-
1: Getting around with teens in this area. I think a lot of the parents who have lost children have been from school to school to school to talk about it. So we're starting to see the deaths temper off a little bit, but, you know, they could easily shoot back up again. So we want to make sure we try to keep it, you know, from happening as much as possible.
0: Okay. Well, I'm so glad that I got to talk to you and learn about this. I hope this is very informative for our listeners as well, because... Yeah, like I said, I don't think there's enough awareness about this. And I definitely want to do my part in spreading the word about it because, you know, we got to keep the kids safe.
1: Right. Anyone who's listening, I know it's nonprofit, and we're all probably in the same boat, but we're always looking for, I have to put this little plug in, donations so we can keep doing what we're doing. It costs us about a half million dollars a year with our staff and everyone to do all the work. So that's a lot of money to raise operationally. As you know, it's difficult to find grants for operational costs. You can get it for all kinds of projects. But when it comes to keeping your organization alive and going, that's where the challenges come in. So we could use all the help we can get with any donations or any wealthy people that want to write a big check. Yeah, of Uh, course. (laughs) (laughs) That would help us a lot so we can fight. We're fighting fentanyl. That's what we're doing.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the things that really got us to a place where we wanted to start this podcast and the meetups that we've been doing for Nonprofit Connect is to encourage the opportunity for nonprofits to also collaborate. Have you been able to collaborate with other nonprofits? Uh,
1: we are. We have several that we work with Harm Reduction Circle, Anastasia. She's amazing. Of course, we've worked with Matt and talked to him. He's spoken at different events for us for druginducedhomicide.org. Right now, the coalition is built of Faces of fentanyl and we also have some politicians like Mary Bono, Pat Bates, on there, as well as McNally Temple Associates, who does propositions and ballot polls and things like that. So we have several organizations that we work hand in hand with. But we're always talking about we all need to come together, no matter what. Some people have just dis- differences and of opinions, and you know it's difficult when dealing with people in general. But we have to be a united front. Everyone from the sheriff's department on down to the nonprofits government organizations we all need to be working together and not duplicating services necessarily unless we're in different areas we could really be doing more if we just come together
0: yeah for sure i think that's huge because we see this a lot in a lot of different areas where i'll be working with two different nonprofits and realize like oh if you guys teamed up on this you could attack it from this angle and from that angle and and be more effective there's often a fear Of that, whether it's a scarcity mindset of, oh, they're going to take our donors or whatever. But we're all here trying to make the world a better place. So I'm always really just advocating for how can we do a better job? How can we work together? How can we bring people together? And I just don't believe in the scarcity, especially here in Orange County. There's plenty to go around. And when there's something like this, we all have to get behind it. This is not, I'm sure they already have tried to make it a political thing or whatever to divide people. But it seems pretty cut and dry to me. Like people are targeting. Our kids and our seniors.
1: Right. We try to get people, if you don't want to see this around for the next generation, you don't want your kids to get into this, put your money where your mouth is, put your money where your beliefs are more so and help out and donate because we need it. I mean, our name is our website, fentanylsolution.org.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, Janice, thank you so much. Man, (laughs) we always close with a few rapid fire questions. So let me throw those at you. What is the one thing that makes you most feel connected?
1: For me specifically is talking to the parents, making sure that what keeps me going is make sure I get them some justice because many of them have not gotten justice. So when I see their faces or I hear their just voices crack when they're talking about their kids, that hits me hard. Yeah. Keeps me going.
0: Who in the world of nonprofits would you most like to take to lunch?
1: In our area, I'm going to say specifically, and if you're listening, David Blair from the Boys and Girls Club, because they raise money like crazy. <laughs> and I would love to get some advice from him because he's been doing it for so long. And I don't think he's telling me his tricks. You know? <laughs> I really would like to pick his brain and see, as long as it's not conflict, you know, see what we can do together because I think he's amazing.
0: That's awesome. Who in the world of nonprofit community, somebody you know maybe that you think we should interview
1: next? If you want to stay on this topic, definitely Anastasia from Harm Reduction Circle, she can talk about, she gives out, she's such a cool person, tattoos with a one wheel that she goes around to homeless people and she gives out naloxone and test strips and things like that.
0: Very cool. Last question is, what in your job brings you the most joy?
1: I think just going out and seeing that we can save lives and hearing those stories come back to us. We have one... Group of men who didn't want to take the test strips that we were giving out for free, and then jokingly they were together and decided to test some pills that were around, and they came back positive for fentanyl, and they came back and told us they did it jokingly, and we say we know we saved their lives.
0: All right, how can people find you and find more information?
1: We're on social media under Fentanyl Soul S O L, so because we had to abbreviate it a little long, but Fentanyl Solution it's singular and our solution we as in we are the solution.org.
0: all right we will make sure we do our best to get the word out more about this I want to learn more about it I'm going to be going to your website and checking it out thank you so much for sharing all of this I really really appreciate it thanks so much
1: thank you bye bye
0: yes my friends we have come to the end of this amazing episode of Nonprofit Connect with Matt Barnes you made it Thank you so much for listening this far. And if you'd like to hear more from Nonprofit Connect, brought to you by Rogue Creatives, make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so you don't miss out. We don't care which one. It doesn't really matter. Just just listen. Just subscribe. Just make it come right into your potholes every week so you can hear what's going on. Also, if you're interested in working with us or want to reach out and tell us how amazing we are, learn more, whatever it is, you can visit our website, npconnect.roguecreatives.com or just go to roguecreatives.com and you can find the rest. Okay, that's pretty much it. Okay. Bye Nonprofit Connect with Matt Barnes is hosted and executive produced by me, Matt Barnes, with an assist by my chaos coordinator, Tiffany Poe. Production is by our amazing friends over at Fame, the B2B podcast agency, along with Belinda Carter Thompson and the team here at Rogue Creatives. Production lead is Luke Audi at Fame. Writing is by Sam Hollis at Fame and Matt Barnes and Taylor Bolanos from Rogue Creatives. Namanja Koljaja of Fame is our audio editor, and Arslan Yakub from Fame is our video editor. Creative Direction is by Corey Hill of Rogue. Our artwork is designed by Hope O'Kelly and Joshua Marino at Rogue and Ian Salas of Fame. Theme music is composed and performed by Jared Atherton of Chapters. Luke Audio of Fame does our booking and our guest relations. Huge thanks to our amazing guests for joining us for this episode and to all of you incredible listeners for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, and I don't know why you wouldn't have, don't forget to help us spread some good by giving us a good review. Preferably, you know, five stars with lots of words saying how amazing we are on whatever platform you're listening on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it is. Also, tell your friends and subscribe so we can come straight into your rolls each and every time we have a new episode. For more information about Nonprofit Connect or to join us at a live event here in Orange County, California, visit our website, NP connect.roguecreatives.com We'll catch you next time. This has been a Rogue Creatives production.